everyone, and welcome to now episode two of the State of the Game podcast. This is a, a special podcast where, you know, every three months we kind of want to get together and we want to talk about, hey, where have we been? Where are we at now? Where are we going? And, and how do we feel about League right now? Uh, like I said, this is the second one. Uh, joining me are two guests from the original. We have Andre Van Roon, also known as Meddler, Lord of All Gameplay. Thank you for coming. Hey, thanks, Patrick. And we have, uh, finally we found him, uh, my, my, my beloved co-host, Aiden Zyrene Moon, who, who has been MIA for the last couple of these. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I'm pretty sure my job title now is like slave to all things Scarzard. Yeah. Like everything that's... you produce, it's like, hey, let's get this guy there. Yeah, I'm not I'm not excited about what people in the community might make of that title, but you know what? <laughs> you know what? I accept you. I accept you for the way that you are. And then, of course, we have uh, from from rundowns and, and all sorts of other things where you may have seen him, uh, uh, we have Mr. Fearless, Mr. Joe Fearless Greylock, uh, lead designer on game systems. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So this is, you know, let's let's set some context. I kind of talked about it right a bit at the at the top of the show. But when we were last here, it was patch 6.5. Uh, if, if we can all cast our minds back to that, you know, we're 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 working on 6.14 in the office right now at the times that you guys will be listening. Um, I think it might even be out uh, by the time this goes out. But, uh, you know, we were beset on all sides by things like Nautilus and Ramus Top uh, mm-hmm. and and the, the Master Yi Rageblade Devourer, right? And these are the things that plagued our game. And, Andre, you spoke about a, a, a magical midseason that would be coming up that would maybe solve all of our problems and add some variety into the game. Well, midseason patch came out in 6.9, so it's been, what, like two months, maybe a little over two months since then. How do we feel about how the state of the game is right now? Pretty good so far. Um, Very happy, particularly with the changes to mage itemization. Sorry, AP itemization, I should say. Yeah. And the elemental dragons, particularly in terms of sort of the the variety game-to-game that those dragons are creating. Um, the major reworks have gone well as well, after some sort of initial bumpiness over, you know, Mal's as monstrous, Cass as way too weak. Um, oh, yeah. Getting pretty close to a good spot. You have to say, Cassiopeia going from the weakest character we've ever put in our game to, like, picked multiple times in the pro scene seems like a pretty good curve for how that character's trended, right? Yeah, yeah. but a bit of balance. Uh, Mistake on our part there, and also just some learning curve as players have adjusted to her changed kit. Yeah, I think Swain also did the same thing, right? He jumped like 16% win rate when we changed him. Yeah, biggest we've ever seen in a like patch. Absolutely yeah. insane. So, how bad there? Yeah. yeah. I, I like that one, too, because because a lot of the rework was about shifting the, the max from... Previously, you would just max Torment, then you had to max the Q, and so it was like both the character got a sizable buff... At the same time, that people were like, oh, hey, I should stop doing this thing that is not functional, right? And so it just compounded to be like, oh, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. No, come back. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. So, so Joe, how how are you and how is your team feeling about uh, things like Rift Herald and the Elemental Dragons? Because I know Dragons as well uh, was a huge topic of concern. I think yep. a lot of people, a lot of really healthy discussion around it, but still a lot of people were worried is like, is the RNG too much? Are we mm-hmm. actually going to be able to play with it? You know, we've seen it on pro play now. How do you feel? Uh, so I think after some initial changes that we had to make, where a couple of the buffs weren't living up to the goals we'd set for them, in general, I think we're in a very, very good spot now with the dragons. Um, it's a spot where I think it's stable, and from here on out, it's really about making sure they're they're having the impact that we want to have and not also crushing out other objectives. Uh, the one thing we're seeing right now is that Baron's falling off a little bit and like there may be some rebalancing work between 
how often we want the game to be very focused around dragon and very focused around Baron and other objectives. But that's some very light long-term maintenance. I think dragons have turned out to be extremely exciting. I think people have really figured out the the ways that you play around the different buffs. Everyone's got their stack ranking, and we've done a little bit of work to shift those up a couple of times, and I feel like we're pretty in a, in a bit better spot for those now. Um, and then in general, I think we've felt pretty good about the AP items. I think we've felt pretty good about Rift Herald. I think it's got a more of an identity now. It's not just a baby Baron. It has a, a different thing that certain champions value and some don't. Um, and we're seeing people feel a lot better about taking that buff. So that that alone is a pretty nice feeling for that. Yeah, I'll just come out and say it. I love Rift Herald. Rift Herald is probably my favorite uh, of the changes. Andre, you had something. Yeah, oh, jumping back to the dragons for a moment. Mm. I think the one exception there is the Cloud Drake um, at the moment. Yeah. And we've still got a bit of a disconnect there between how satisfying and impactful that feels and uh, how strong we'd both, uh, we both think it is and how appreciated we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. So we're playing around with that quite a bit at the moment. Um, we're starting off by just sort of increasing the amount of out-of-combat movement speed it offers to try and understand, is this ever sort of a mechanic that players mm. will, will feel good about and that teams will play around? Or are we better off trying to find a way to offer the strategic mobility it gives that we really like for the game in some different way? Yeah, it's interesting because, Joe, you mentioned, you know, oh, how, how a lot of people like to play around the different buffs. And I know, Aiden, you have a very specific way that you like to play around Cloud Drake, which is don't take it <laughs> uh, at all. Yeah, if I'm, ahead, really. if, if I'm ahead, if I'm ahead, I don't take it because I don't want to have to contest the next Drake and possibly have a team fight. Like, I don't want Elder to spawn in my games because Elder has that mechanic where it's harder to take the further ahead you are. Yeah. So I, I don't want to just deal with that. Like, I'll close the game out without that buff. I don't want to have a potential steal awake. As a jungler, I'm like, 50-50s scare the shit out of me. Let's not do those. Which, which I have to say <laughs> is, like, kind of neat for me. <laughs> like, like, like when people are like, oh, I don't like Cloud Drake. It's not that good. And you have casters who are like, you see, when they got in that fight, that was the Cloud Drake, right? Like, <laughs> of, after all of this arguing about is it good, is it not good, I like that a strategy has come out of it where it's like, use it to kind of deny them further dragons, which yeah. is... Seems like there's something in there that's actually kind of sweet. I, I think in general, I'm I'm happy that people are like, okay, we got Infernal. This next one is Ocean. Let's take it as fast as possible so we can maybe get another Infernal, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's roll the dice one more time. And they get another and, cloud. Yeah, <laughs> they, they get the cloud, and then you're sad. <laughs> like, ah. uh, my question, uh, because I think we all agree that dragons are in a pretty neat spot. You brought up Baron. Baron for a long time has been about what? Just just pushing, right? You know, it gives you the minion aura and everything like that. Uh, how do we feel like that fits with something like mountain, right, or ocean that kind of feel like they're providing these sustained pushes in a really dynamic way throughout the game? Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely still a lot of benefit from having a buff that is a large swing in temporary power. I know we've, we've played around with dragon as this form of long-term power, Rift Herald is a 20-minute buff. Like, we're, we're doing a lot of these extended scope buffs. I think because we still believe Baron as a big boost in power for a very concentrated window um, does a lot of good for how the game paces out and how a losing team might be able to steal away an objective and still have a really good push or how a winning team can close out a game a whole lot faster when they've kind of already won it's also our tool for dealing with uh the, some, some of the sort of stall comps we've seen in past seasons yeah that just you know insta clear minion waves trying to get near their towers 
you know, no matter how many mountain drakes you have, unless you're able to face tank that stuff, you know, you need a minion wave or at least a small one in there to actually get some stuff done. Baron re removes a lot of those stalemates. Yeah, I agree. Whichever designer was responsible for making Ziggs probably has a lot of thoughts about stalling out the game. Uh, if only we could find him. I think guilt is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, 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 is that guilt? yeah, there it is. Uh, I actually, uh, actually wanted to ask, you said that Baron's like fallen down in priority. Why do you think that is? Uh, so, I mean, part of it is I think dragons have offered up a way to finish out the game. I also think they're providing a lot of team fights. Right? Like you're talking about there's a lot of this how do we contest this? When should we contest this? It's leading to more fights around Dragon. Like, we we know there's actually a sizable increase of people fighting and dying around Dragon, um, which means if you have a really solid win around Dragon, you you don't need to go grab Baron. You just go finish the game a mm. lot of those times. So um, initial thoughts are something linked to that. Also, we should call out Dragon is a big enough change that we don't have all the answers yet of mm. what it's doing and how it works. Um, we're, there are some chunks of data that we're just getting our first passes back after yet yeah, two months because looking at the first patch tells us nothing besides people don't know what's going on yet. So a lot of the system stuff takes a very long time for us to truly understand. And we're just starting to get to the point where like we have hypotheses for what we think everything is settling out to. I think that's, that's actually a really good call out just because, uh, we, 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 People who listen to this podcast and listen to our dev blogs and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that would probably know that we've mentioned like, oh, yeah, they're all actually pretty close in win rate. Right. But we don't even really know what that means yet. Right. Is it just that killing dragons is giving you a really good win rate in general? Are you regardless them of the because buff? you're already ahead? Right. Yeah. 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 It, there, there's a lot of things to go with that. Yeah, we make an effort to sort of filter out some of the, those confounding factors in there. So when we're talking about the amount of uh, benefit a drake, a drake gives you, looking at the amount of benefit it gives you in a close game. When you don't have a massive lead already, you're not up on gold, you don't have a lot of other drakes in there confounding the equation. Um, the other thing, bouncing back to sort of the Baron question as well, um, I think some of it's just the, the sheer risk of doing doing Baron. Mm. You know, if you're dramatically, or even not just noticeably ahead, you can take drake, the worst thing that happens is the enemy gets one drake buff. Mm. Probably you get more of a lead. If you're doing Baron, there's that chance you're throwing the game. So it's possible the, the risk there versus the benefit you get might might be a little bit off, we'll need to see. Yeah, I gotcha. Um... So I actually have a question going for Cloud Drake here, Andre, mm -hmm. because just playing devil's advocate here to like pretty much everybody who's experienced our game since Cloud Drake came out, what what if we should actually have a Drake that isn't as high priority as the others? Like, why is it bad to have something that is deprioritized? Because if I get behind and a Cloud Drake spawns, I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank God. It's not, it's not going to snowball them anymore. And it gives me a time window where I'm not on the clock for those six minutes. Like, shit, how do we set up this objective? How do we stop them from getting this? It gives us some time to breathe. Whereas if every Drake is good, if I'm behind, I always feel that pressure. Oh, I actually think that's great. You know, having a Drake that for many teams and in many games is just a cool, we, we don't actually need that one as much as the others. Or even we could take that, but we'd rather have a tower. Mm -hmm. um, I think at the moment we have a bit too big a difference between sort of how fun and satisfying that drake is, though, compared to the other ones. You know, it could be absolutely cool if Cloud Drake is generally the weakest of the fourth, and noticeably so, but it still needs to feel decent to take it sometimes. Mm. And so we've got to sort of raise that bar a bit. Okay. So uh, so we spent a lot of time talking about the drakes and kind of the objectives. Uh, 
one thing I want to go on before we move on to the future and 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 maybe how we feel about where league's going is I want to drill down a little deeper into the mage reworks, right? Because top of the show you were saying, hey, we actually feel pretty good about the state these are in. I want to know. Can you tell me a little more about how we're measuring that, right? Because I I will say plainly, I am seeing more of these characters, right? You know, uh, especially if you just watch the pro scene, right? Swain, Vladimir, Cassiopeia, they're they're pretty big and they're in there, right? If you if you expand that to the rest of the game, Malzahar has been a, a constant uh, force. Victor, right? Yeah, I I, I almost forget how <laughs> that we actually changed Victor because he just kills all my minions instantly. Uh, but Upon which axes would you say that you feel like mages have been a success, and, and how, how are we really evaluating those? Uh, the biggest two things we look at there are distinctiveness and healthiness, at least for this particular uh, right. set of updates. Um, for some characters, Vladimir being the easiest example, okay, you've got a really distinct character already there before the update, but one sort of lacking in counterplay, and sort of ways for enemy, a lot of enemies to interact with them, particularly earlier in the game. So we feel we've managed to keep most of that distinctiveness, but made him just a healthier experience for the game, so that we could be happier you know, when we see him in, in regular play or pro play. Yeah, that um, that one is actually just mm. a little interesting because uh, Vlad, I, I agree with you, and yet Vlad seems to have taken the spot as one of our like new poster children for like really frustrating gameplay. I don't know if it's just about like healing. People don't like it when people don't die, right? You you have the troll pool, a lot healing, of healing. untargeted ability, no mana. It's mm. it's a tough combo. Yeah. Um, I don't think we necessarily have the perfect Vlad. Don't get me wrong, but I think we have a noticeably better Vlad. Um, I'll agree there. Yeah. 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 I know when I play Vlad, uh, I am always dealing a lot of damage to myself with my E, and I don't think my opponents know how often they kill me because of that. Right, and so I, I always wonder if there isn't a little bit of frustration where they're just like, "Huh, I'm so glad he's dead," and I'm like, "That was a totally fair duel we just had," and they're like not paying attention at all because they're they're just focused on it. Yeah, Vladimir's just been really frustrating for the professional scene. It's like pretty much banned every game, and if it's left up, it's picked rather early on. It's actually funny because Korea like lets it go through to the second round, and then like even SKT like loses to Vladimir because they just aren't prepared for the amount of damage that it does, as well as how hard he is to kill, and then the sustain on top of it. Like, I, I'm like, get Grievous Wounds. It's like, it's, it's not helping as much as it should against the champion like that, in my opinion, or he just heals way too much of his missing HP when he builds HP. So it's actually a really frustrating champion to play against. Swain's yeah. also up there, but he's gotten a little bit better. So yeah. just healing's a very frustrating mechanic for most of our game. Like, has always been a problem in the past, too. Right. So without rabbit holing a little too hard on Vlad in particular. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. We just I just felt we had to bring it up because it, because yeah, it's yeah. definitely Vlad has been on a lot of people's minds. You mentioned distinctiveness as well. I think healthiness is something people have a decent understanding of, right? But how do we measure distinctness? Right? Is that just we we like mark it off on the distinct uh, list or something internally like how, how, how can we tell that we're really hitting that bar? Uh, what we're interested in there is how a particular champion being in the game changes the choices that, that the player of that champion makes that their teammates make, that the other team makes. That could be things like you know who do I, who do I pick this champion to counter mm -hmm. or when and when do we want to fight, you know, early game, late game when our ults are up, when their ults are down you know, what parts of the map are best for us around objectives, around brush, tower sieges, that sort of thing. So if we've got more than one champion that where the answer to those questions is too similar, um, I think old Cassiopeia had a bit of this with Vagar, actually. The, oh, we both want to just you know scale up and build up stacks for that massive obliterate somebody late game at times. 
um, then we sort of feel we have a less distinct game. We've got too many champions offering the same thing, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is... Uh, it's weird because I think the the, the spikes out there, you know, the, the hyper-competitive players will always look at something that we were talking about, like that Cassiopeia Vagar thing, and they'll say, I don't know what you're talking about, Andre. They're completely different characters, yeah. right? You know, uh, yes, they both want to farm into late game and have a massive impact, but this one does it single target, and that one does it over two seconds or something, right? Like... I don't think we're saying that these characters are all cookie cutter. Although oh, not the slightest. Yeah. 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 Though, though I think we have had that in the past. I think Garen Darius being being our like prime example or or maybe even Old Graves Old Lucian, right? Where you're oh, like yeah. these characters are actually really similar. Let's Diana Akali is still it. Oh yeah, Diana Akali, yeah. yeah, probably yeah. one of the biggest outliers in our game right now. Yeah. The, uh, the major one for me is like Lux Velkaz still because they both kind of play like villain mages that you when you're against either of them you're like okay avoid that one ability that locks you up and then don't get in choke points because they're just going to wreck you right like that that's how i feel against both those champions they both kind of occupy the same space in my mind yeah i'll actually agree i think we probably have a lot of work to do on artillery uh characters in general i actually think velkos was the of the mages the one from the update that most clearly missed the mark as well we sort of identified you know we really like this guy you know cool theme sort of distinct appearance but he does stuff that's pretty similar to a number of other characters we already have. And so we sort of took a crack at trying to make him a bit more distinct. I think we got a bit of benefit there with sort of these shifting immortals, the true damage, sort of the, the tank or the tanky dude killer. But he does still overlap quite a bit. And overall, I think our changes were sort of net neutral or so rather than oh, yeah. sort of a clear win for the time we put in. Yeah. So uh, I guess, yeah. Last. So while we're on the mage subject, mm-hmm. Joe, uh, talk to me about the itemization pass that also went through with some of this, right? Because we there was a lot of under-the-hood changes, right, uh, which just means the Catalyst and Rod of Ages were overpowered. Uh, but also we have these these new Hextech items, which I want to get your take on because here's how I see it. Uh, those items have been, like, they are perceived as actually pretty powerful, mm-hmm. but in terms of, and you know, they're used pretty often, but I don't know that we've seen them make that big an impact like a lot of people are like oh that guy used protobelt and killed me right but oftentimes it feels like it was overkill it's actually hard to measure how useful those are how do you, how do you feel about the changes overall and then specifically the hextech items okay cool yeah so for a lot of the ap items as we were trying to push the kind of distinctiveness of a lot of mages and other champions right because we're looking at a, a longer time scale um we wanted to make sure that these items kind of reinforced or allowed a base for those differences. So things like uh, making sure that these tanky, more frontline mages had an item that said, yeah, you're, you're going to take damage, you're going to be throwing spells out, and that's cool. Let's reinforce that pattern and allow you more of a, a way to hook into that rather than backing off and feeling more like these other mages. Um, for the Catalyst line, that was really important that these kind of recognized that we were focusing on a lot of these mages having these different roles. So in general, we've seen, I think things we're pretty happy with in terms of allowing mages to have these different identities. Um, With the support patch that just went out, we did a lot of these, like your healing and shields are better too. Like we're, we're trying to do these things where the items acknowledge the strengths and the goals of the people who are buying them and let them feel better about them so that we don't have the Athenes versus Morello's issue of the stat line's kind of similar, so which one's just more efficient or stronger? We want these to have more of an idea of who they are for so that we don't have these problems of 
very similar one-to-one comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we get to the hex deck items, the, the, I will be totally honest. These were, these were an experiment to see if we could start to do some of these ideas of like a keyword where it's like the idea that we could say there are a class of items that are a hex tech family. Will people understand that? Will they be excited about it? Where can we open up some space to do very different things with items? Can we make them more powerful knowing they're exclusive? Could we someday have an item that said, all of your hex tech items do X, shoot an extra shot, do a thing, right? Like, um, can we start to build out these families of items? Yeah, I mean, it needn't be an item either. You know, we could do masteries that, that right. buff your hex tech items or, or their usage, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, or, this is actually interesting to me too because this I remember when uh, Quo was first pitching me these, they sound, I mean, and functionally in some case kind of are, they're very similar to the zeal items for marksmen, right? Where, mm-hmm. where zeal items are yeah. kind of like, they're a family that isn't, as called out, right? But if you're a marksman, you're picking up probably two of these. They build out of the same component. And I feel like we've actually hit a pretty good space in terms of like what each one does and that you don't just pick one because its stats are better, right? And so I was really excited to see Hextech maybe, and you know, maybe we're just not there yet, but get to a point where we say, oh, I can go a Hextech build or I can be the kind of uh, character that that wants the Hextech stats rather than maybe like the raw ability power because I'm going to use these actives to good effect. Yeah, for a long time, starting kind of with all of the marksman items and going forward, we've been kind of experimenting with how do we make some of the choices in items more clear. Uh, the zeal items have a very clear thing of like, you know you want a zeal because it's going to work back into your crit item. Which one do you want per game or per your champion? I think has come across as a pretty clear choice for a lot of players, and that's really awesome. That was the whole idea there. Seeing if we can do it through a different way for mages, um, I think people are still trying to figure out what these items are for. I think GLP Hmm. is a solid baseline for a lot of characters, but I don't know if that one's as sharp as it could be in terms of who it's for or when it's for or that sort of thing. Proto Belt, I think, does a little better there, where I think most people... This one's actually more player-centric. I think you know if you are a player that thinks they're going to have a lot of fun or get a lot out of Proto Belt. And that was actually kind of the hope there, that this would appeal to certain players rather than certain kits. Yeah. Um, Outside of the obvious, yeah, yeah, and Annie will probably think this is pretty neat. Yeah, there's like (laughs) Uh, Poe Belter and Box Box like build Proto Belt every game on Mm -hmm. the appropriate characters. Yeah. And yet there are other people who are like, I I won't touch it. I don't think it's very good. Well, a lot of people don't use activatable items according to to our statistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so, uh, moving on uh, yet again, I want to get just, just a little bit of the feeling of those were the problems that we wanted to solve with midseason, and it sounds like we either hit or we know exactly where we want to hit. I think you you alluded, Andre, to some Cloud Drake work that we're trying to do uh, right about now. I want to know, what are the problems that we think our game is facing today? You just referenced a support patch that went out, I think, yesterday mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people, and I think we're still going to be waiting on some of the data from that. But yep. just some gut feels level, where are some things that you guys think that we need to push on or things that we need to really be doing better on starting now? Um, I think the first one will be, well, maybe not the first we do, but we need to do some more work on supports, um, particularly sort of the gold income and the XP income. Some of that stuff probably also affecting junglers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to do some sort of assessment of the changes that just went out and then sort of figure out where we are on that. But I'd expect further work in that space to be something we prioritize at some point soon. 
The other one, and we've talked about this publicly a bit already, is Assassins, actually. You know, they've been sort of a long-running challenge point, both from a a balance perspective and a frustration one. Mm. So they'll be the next class we tackle with a big update, um, probably, you know, end of the year, somewhere in November, December-ish. And that'll be both Assassins and some other sort of systems that support them, you know, either the items they buy or other sort of objectives they interact with in the game, that sort of thing. Yeah, I I don't want to... You know, we're not going to spoil anything here for you guys, but some of the conversations that I've heard around what can we make assassins do that makes you want to be on your team are actually really cool. I'm I'm very excited to see, you know, in a couple months time how a lot of that stuff pans out. But I want to talk about supports before we get to assassins, because I think assassins is going to be a bit of a larger discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we just talk about uh, supports the whole time. We don't get to it. Uh, So. You talk about gold income and experience, which I think are two very key things to hit on. It looks like we did a lot of the heavy lifting on experience this patch, specifically around the uh, – th- there's two types. There's Wards and kills? Well, well, I guess there's actually wards. Uh, but I was saying the, the like, catch-up uh, the, the XP mechanics, it, it was funny because right before we announced this, there was an EULCS game that maybe you guys have heard of. It went 80 minutes, and the support karma was level 17. Right, and and it was one of those cases where our community is like, Riot, what the hell? How have you not addressed this? And <laughs> that's I'm that's like, not us. That's that player. Don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and I'm like, I'm like, oh well, we, well, I see right here that we've addressed it, or or we hope to, and 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 hopefully it'll be out soon. But uh, gold is something that I want to know about because we for so long have thought about this class as a low income and junglers as well mm-hmm. as just like low income classes. Do we think that's sustainable for the long term of league? Um, not in its current form. The incentives, the, the things that we're talking about now is I don't think the incentives are promoting the sorts of actions that we want them to. This, this goes back to like the change we did in preseason of like the losing teams, minions kind of fall into their mouths, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've been doing a lot of these things of like, is the incentive on the right people to do the right things? One of the things we're looking at right now is the balance between like kill gold and minion gold. And where do we want that value to actually be? Because right now a kill is mostly worth the gold of denial because minions are worth so much. I don't think in the long term we want to have kills be a second class citizen when it comes to what you should think about when you are looking for action on the map. Um, If so much of it is still in denial, I think it is a lot harder for a lot of people to understand. I think it might make the game less interesting when the solve routinely ends up being don't don't kill people for the reasons you think. Yeah, it's a lot less visceral to enjoy and watch because I spend a lot of time talking about, oh, you know, he killed him, but now he's not going to get that minion wave or he's missing out on this on the other side of the map. And it's one of the reasons that, like, top laners don't take ignite and they always take TP because even if you ignite the guy and kill him, he's going to come back TP, catch the wave, and you have to back and you might miss a wave and then you're even in gold. So there's all these problems around those things. Um, I've got a slightly different take on the golden experience for supports and junglers question. Um, To me, it's much more about those roles should have the same overall impact in terms of chance to win the game as any other role. Um, I think at the moment they are penalized because somewhat because of that lack of resources. Um, Addressing sort of the, the lack of income they have there could be a good way of fixing that problem. But I do think we get some distinctiveness from sort of the, the champions that can can get by with less, that can sort of focus more on the utility stuff. So I could also imagine some ways we could fix that that impact and agency thing uh, via other means. 
Yeah. I think I think what you just said resonates with me a lot. Specifically, I wanted to talk about income or low income because it feels like, you know, I've been playing this game for longer than I really should have, if if we're being real. All of my uh, adult life. Yeah. All, <laughs> the entirety of my adulthood. Uh, but there are a lot of patterns. There are a lot of things that happen where in the beginning, right, we were like, okay, well, let's lower the gold cost of an item to make it a support item, right? Uh, and if the item is good and it's cheap, then what happens is, like, you find what's, like, the lowest common denominator among classes that can still pick it up. So uh, if you remember old Aegis into Runic Bulwark, right, that's that's what this was. Is we were like, oh, we want the support item, and junglers are like, I can get it on my first clear. Whoa. Sick. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, uh, no, yeah. we were like, this item rocks. This <laughs> item is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but, you know, it's like, what? okay, now it's being built at, like, minute eight to minute 10 on, on everyone and supports are like, well, now I don't get to buy it because he's buying it. Oh, no, right? no, no. Oh, we, no. Were, we were like, you buy it too because they stacked oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. There was a time where they stacked in a really unfair way. Come on, that, and, that thing was nuts. Yeah, yeah. and Brad Winvan yeah. wanted to rip uh, his hair out. It was awesome. Uh, but but then on the other end of the spectrum, it feels like when whenever there has been maybe a little too much gold or a little bit too much offensive power, it's like, well, I just see Annie or Zyra or Brand or these characters that almost feel like they're cheating Why if, does this, if you're a traditional Sona supporter. have Lich Bane? He's right, like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, like, you're like, I'm just trying to play Nami and live out my healer fantasy down here, and Annie soloed my 80 carry, right? And you're like, so I feel like there's a big spectrum, and a lot of it has been because I feel like, sorry, I'm in opinion land here, but but <clears throat> but that's what we're doing. It feels like a lot of our impact has been gated by gold. Right, a lot of the things that you can do in League of Legends is either like, well, unless we give your character like a Thresh Lantern or some like game warping ability, a lot of it is can you get a lot of gold? Can you get the gold faster than the other person? And can you translate that into an advantage? So I think that's why a lot of people who are dissatisfied with supports or maybe junglers focus on gold because they see what everyone else gets and they're like, why am I not getting that thing? Yeah, I think there was. I don't know if there's a conclusion there. No, just... It was definitely a lot of opinion. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that was like hey, League of Legends. On. We want gold. We want to make gold into more gold and then win. Like, yeah, everyone wants gold. I mean, so the things when we're touching on the gold economy of supports, the things that leap out to me are still we have some mandatory items like we're seeing the the sight stone plus your support line be really popular in high level play, not because they think those items are really cool, but because they shortcut the time to ages. Mm -hmm. um, the the rush to lock it, we were just talking about how crazy Runic Bulwark was. It's not that much better. Now, I mean, it's only on one person, but it's still this like very mandatory path for supports because it is the one item that I think really multiplies their gold out in ways they feel great about. We're hoping we kind of chipped at that with the changes to some of the support items that let them feel better about specifically their supportive power. But I think there's probably a little bit of work to do on Aegis to make that not so mandatory. And there's probably work to make those other supportive items feel like they acknowledge the power of the people we want to buy them and let those be powerful. Because if we just give them AP, right? There's like Arden Sensor's had this problem for a long time. If we just give Arden Sensor AP... You just compare it to the other AP items and you buy an AP item if that's the amount of gold you have. If it knows that you are shielding people or if it this other item knows that you're really good at healing people and that's what you do, we can give that specific power out at a level that makes it competitive and not worry about does Annie buy this because it's cheap and kills you. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I'd like to touch on the Aegis thing for a bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we've sort of nerfed Aegis the aura 
in particular at this point enough that it doesn't feel like great to buy, mm-hmm. mm. but it's still effectively mandatory for an awful lot of supports in many team comps. Yep. And so it's sort of got this problem of, hey, you, you have less gold, so you can buy less items, and you've got to buy your, your support item, your side stone, maybe you combine the two, and then your, I guess, upgrade your boots. Okay, that's that's probably basically it for a lot of games. We can't really offer the sort of item choice we want. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this. I think there's pretty real odds that at some point we end up going, okay, we, we can't make Aegis satisfying and balanced. Maybe we should just remove it and actually, you know, get some better alternatives in there. Yeah. Give people some actual choice. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the mm. world, Meteos just just felt <laughs> amazing. He was, like, <laughs> just, he was like, what is this? What's happening? No, I, it, I, I'm happy that you bring that up because keep, keep or remove Aegis has, I think, been another ongoing conversation because there are people who think, right, I don't understand how this item can be in the game and be balanced at what it does. It creates this suffocating effect where if they get it first or if they get it second, I now as a as a somewhat magic damage dealer like uh, Elise or Zach, right, who maybe doesn't afford to build a lot of pen, the burden is on me to go even more defensive mm-hmm. or double down on being really tanky or, or stun body. But then there are supports who say, well, but it's the only one that makes me feel like I'm actively contributing. I feel smarter for getting my ages at the right timing. Is that something that we would feel comfortable removing or trying to mess with? I don't nope. know if actively supporting is the right word for mm-hmm. a passive yeah. stat or <laughs> okay, yeah, right, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we'd want to give other options that made you feel you were doing good sort of team helping, empowering things. But I think we're coming to the conclusion Agus is probably not the, the best way to be doing that um having said that we've also balanced a lot of the game around its existence you know the value of sort of flat flat mpn in particular how some of those early junglers or even you know bottom mid laners mm-hmm. um, get on so it's very much a, if we were to remove that thing that's not a just in a random patch thing that's a pre-season or a yeah. mid-season yeah that, that's a, it's absolutely huge it's become a necessity for the game uh, when there's like one ap user in the entire game like if there's a mid lane mage which they're very popular now it's like it's not even a very rewarding item to build. Like I think it's a worse offender than Cloud Drake because it feels very unsatisfying to build it. You feel like inside, you're like, I'm helping, but you don't feel it. And when you don't have it, you don't notice that the impact of not having it is so large until you die. And then you check everybody's items and you're like, oh, we don't have a, we don't have a locket. Yeah. And and then it's like, why didn't this guy build locket? And you like yell at your support or something because like at that point you're like, that would have helped us. And it's always like a retrospective thing. And when you have it, it's like you forget that you have it. You forget that the Yara is there. It's not having that impact that you that you feel. And that that's the big problem with me when I had to build it as a jungler was I'm like, oh, let's just build this item so I can get to the stuff I really want to buy. And I really want to build so I can feel like I'm being effective, right? Like It's like, let's just go Titanic Hydra on Rek'Sai. Let's just do this. It's like, I don't want to build the locket because it's not satisfying. Even like the active is not very satisfying to use. And then your team dies to a bunch of magic damage in the mid game while you have your Tiamat in your inventory. Yeah, and I'm telling tell, tell, oh, no. tell my AD carry, I'm like, Hex Drinker's an item, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> you guys could all buy a magic item or I could do one for all of you. So... So it sounds like the bottom line in supports, though, is, is you know, we, we talked more about gold than XP for sure, but there is still a lot of work to be done on making this class feel satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of transitions nicely into the, and yet it sounds like the thing that we're doing for preseason is Assassin. So, Andre, talk to me just really quickly before we go into Assassin's as a whole about what went into that decision, because I think a lot of players were expecting supports to be, like, the next big, like, class update, or, or they were at least, you know thought it was in in the hat 
yep. for, um, for selection. So we do class updates, in particular, as mentioned previously, with the majors to tackle distinctiveness and game health. Um, our assassins, too many of them do exactly the same thing. You know, reliably get on you and burst you down in 0.2 seconds. And nothing else. Leaving you with sort of no ways to respond to that. So they're sort of the, one of the perfect choices for a class update like that. Um, supports, by contrast, we feel are pretty distinct and pretty healthy. There's some other issues there, but there are things we can tackle in things like this recent support patch and sort of alongside other class updates rather than sort of focusing on the individual champions. The champions are pretty good. It's the systems around them that we think are the, the bigger issue there. Okay, so TLDR hmm. is you feel like they're distinct and that they're probably pretty healthy, but just maybe underpowered or, or undervalued. It's, uh, it's the stuff that supports the supports. Right, mm. okay. That's, that's so, the issue. Not, so, the, not so, the champions themselves, generally. All right, so so that's that's... That's important to call out then and probably something we should, you know, continue to go further on is, you know, your class getting an update does not mean your class is good or bad, right? It is it is your class probably needs a lot of work to feel different from other people in your class. Exactly. Um, right. We also don't want the class update updates to feel like they're, you know, your class gets massively buffed. Mm. Well, we've yeah, got that wrong sometimes in the past. The the Juggernauts were really strong. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Marksmen for a, at least a couple of months there were in every single line. Um I think the marksmen are now in a reasonable spot. The mages were closer to a more distinct without all of them going nuts in terms of power. Yeah. yeah. We I, hope with I, assassins, I, we managed to do that better again and don't end up with a three assassins, every team, every game sort of meta or, or anything yeah, similar. That is my dream. Oh, my God. Six, no. assassins, <laughs> yeah. six to eight assassins You per are game. a terrible person. We were, we were talking I've about frustration before. That, that's awful. Yeah. But, yeah, the, uh, the point you had about the marksmen being in every lane is, like, we kind of chipped away at them but then we also buffed the things that allowed people to kind of play against them or like buff the champions that want to play against them like we're not going to see a graves top or a lucian top now because aurelia is a big thing because the trinity force changed right and like Jax is a big thing now so a lot of the things that counter it still keep it out of other lanes but allow you to still play it in the role that it was intended in the bottom lane I mean, we'd also like now. to see some marksmen in other positions yeah, we see um, sometimes mid right like varus or ezreal but we the, don't the occasional that. jungle marksman or yeah, maybe occasionally a top lane is sort of a counter or something um, the big issue being that if they're both in different positions and everywhere else as well we're not getting extra distinctiveness and sort of variety from that we're just oppressing a lot of other classes yeah, yeah. and i actually had a question about that because the mage update before we get into assassins go for it um we buffed things like Vladimir and all that, and that's what we're seeing dominate the mid lane. Is we're seeing uh, wave clear, large range or tankiness for. So we're seeing Azir, we're seeing Victor, we're seeing Rise, who has just so much damage and a little bit of tankiness in him too. Uh, and then we're also seeing things like the Swain and the Vlad, right? Uh, so these things are very frustrating to play against for almost all players when the player is actually at a decent uh, ability level, and you feel like you have to play their game. And be like, all right, he picked Vladimir. Well, I got to pick Rise now, or I got to pick something that's up there in that S tier, or I got to pick Azir. Because if I'm playing against that, the things like Assassins that usually play into something like an Azir just don't feel satisfying right now to play. So I feel like these champions really overtook the mid lane and made it a place where now the meta is playing around mid lane because they're so insanely powerful, right? Like we're seeing Ash, Sivir, we're seeing Karma bottom lane because they enable these guys with low mobility to get in. Uh, so like the game is starting to revolve around them in the mid lane. And I just wanted to know, like, are we addressing that because are we going to address that by like buffing other things in the mid lane like assassins or are we going to try to like come at it from a different angle and like maybe knock them down a tiny bit? Uh, I think there's a couple of things there. The first is that for, you know, sort of a lane interaction, both sides should feel they have ways of sort of interacting and helping decide how that how that lane goes rather than one person saying, hey, I'm here. It's all about how I do things. Yeah. Try and deal with it. 
we've got some champions. I think Azir and Rise are probably two of some of the most chronic at this that basically say, yeah, we're going to play my game now. Can you deal? We need to work on those, those kits, basically. Um, hopefully the Rise rework that's on the PBE at present will be a meaningful contributor to that. As far as the Assassins go, historically we've gone through some periods, and I'm probably in a bit of one at the moment, where we've often kept many of the Assassins weak because we're not happy with the effect they have on the game when strong. That's something we're hoping that this Assassin-focused update changes so that we can actually have those dudes be, be popular and played and go, oh, that's cool, they're just a healthy part of the ecosystem rather than, oh god, Rengar's strong again. This is a miserable experience. I just vanished before I even realized yeah. he was Hide your kids, yeah. hide your wife, <laughs> Rengar, <laughs> stabbing yeah, everyone fountain. out here. Yeah. So, so I want to be very clear. So I am an assassin lover. I will out myself. I have historically always wanted to play assassins or assassin-like champions. Or champions as assassins, uh, like Alawi. Or champions <laughs> as assassins. Uh, flat pen on everything. Flat pen 2016. Uh, so what I am looking for, what I'm pleading for out of this update, and I think I, I speak for a lot of other Assassin players out there in the world when I say this, this class, like you say, right, pretty much only good at one thing, and that's just murdering, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it puts people in this weird spot where it's like, oh, I kill someone, I feel satisfied, I feel like I was doing the thing I wanted to do, and then my character gets nerfed to like, oh, now we slow down their kill speed, right? And it leaves players in the spot of like, well, but that's what Assassins are supposed to do. So, I don't want you guys to spoil anything, and I know it's still a really big up-in-the-air project right now, but could you maybe shed some insight for me and other people who love Assassins on what spaces are you guys thinking about letting these guys play in that isn't just kill the guy or kill the guy if you put in the Konami code or, or, <laughs> or you know, like, or do a cool thing, right? Like, how, what are our thoughts around letting Assassins be in the ecosystem? Oh, certainly. Um, so the first one I'll clarify is... We do still want assassins to kill squishy targets quickly. That's, praise that's praise what the Lord. Yep. You heard it On here. On the other hand, there's a big difference between I kill you in 0 0.2 seconds guaranteed and I kill you in, I don't know, just under a second if I do it right and you don't you know, take advantage of the counterplay I have. Right. At the same time, we then want to let them do some other stuff as well, you know, bringing sort of a bit more utility to their team. And the stuff's all pretty tentative, but we'd be looking at things like you know, more strategic out-of-combat mobility so they can sort of do the flanking thing or sort of take out split pushes or whatever. Um, maybe some more vision contributions to the team, both to help out their team and to also find their own targets. Potentially some more contributions towards objectives on the map rather than being quite as, I kill that dude and then uh, I'll auto-attack some stuff or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Um, am I missing anything there, though, Joe? Um, I think you kind of mentioned the Konami code. I'm interested to see, and I think we're seeing a lot of people play around with in their early experiments like what is the execution quality that they are testing we've had a lot of them that are like extremely mechanically oriented mm -hmm. i i think we're seeing people play around with where can situational mastery where can tactical mastery mm. play into what makes an assassin successful i'm really excited to see us explore more of those spaces because i think we can have a couple of characters, I mean, and obviously should have a ton of characters that are execution dependent, and your your physical mastery of a keyboard is tremendously important. Mm -hmm. I would love to see in each kind of class that we look at more characters that care about situational awareness or understanding strategic differences of the teams and things like that. Because or ability to play mind games, or yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of skills we can test with champions and systems and everything in the game. 
that don't have to be this pure execution mastery. Yeah. I think uh, Echo's uh, parallel convergence is one of my favorite abilities we've ever made. I know it was actually really contentious while we were making it to be like, how are we going to give it enough lead time? How are we going to like pull at all the levers, right? But it feels like one of the first actual mind games that we have uh, it, that feels like a really splashy one. I know Wukong's decoy. Everyone's in love with that Shaco ability. I mean, Shaco. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Shaco yeah. as a whole. Shaco, yeah. the yeah. champion himself, is a mind game, right? But uh, I, I feel like that's a really clean execution. I'm looking forward to things like that. It's interesting that you bring up mechanical complexity because mm. I think this is my theory people die to zed and even if zed did it right they're like well i just died yeah. however undoubtedly it feels better than if talon jumps on you and just presses one button and you explode right so there is definitely some gradient of mechanical complexity and yet you know i'm in a play test with a, a an assassin update that will not be named but is on a character that has a lot of execution complexity and feedback that people are typing out in the mid lane and all chat is like hey i went in with my combo and did almost none of your life and this time i did 90 percent. right it's like i think there there is like a a ceiling right on how variable are these outcomes such that like i can understand when my allied assassin is even doing something rather than just they killed or did not kill right yeah and i actually want to dive into that a lot because the assassins like Zed, like Zed, it's probably going to sound a little strange because of the removal of QSS. I think Zed is honestly one of the healthiest assassins that we have in the game right now uh, compared to things like a Talon, like a Diana, like a, um, uh, oh my God, it just blanked my mind. Ah, uh, like a Rengar, right? Like there's there a lot is. of things in the game that just jump at you. They kill you instantaneously, LeBlanc, right? Like going to blow you up. And those feel awful to play against because the counterplay is very low. Zed is like, I have this time where he's casting Deathmark, that half second, where I know that, okay, I'm the, I'm his target. I'm going to jump back. I'll flash back into my team. I know he's going to spawn behind me when he comes out. So like you can already charm behind you and stuff like that. Whereas things like Diana feels like the counterplay to, to Diana is the burden of execution on the player who's playing Diana. That's it. Like I feel like if she makes it through laning phase and the guy did it right, then he's gonna win the game. Like I know that like uh, Arc Second, like number one or two on the ladder right now, just like plays yeah. Diana, and he does just that because he's such a highly skilled player. Like just for context, I care about like the point zero zero one percent of League of Legends at like the top. <laughs> like that, that's my job to care <laughs> you, about the professional scene. You don't scene. say. Is that <laughs> yeah. is that true? It's like, it's like the people who have the mechanical ability to make these champions absolutely insane. It sucks because sometimes I feel like the champions have to be balanced around them. And that fact that this guy can make it through Diana's laning phase every time, yeah. right? And things like that. Something I think is really important there is we want to continue to recognize that that mechanical mastery, but we should also be giving the people fighting against it the opportunity to show off their own mechanical mastery. Yeah. You know, if I'm, and this is sort of, actually Talon's probably one of the worst for this. If you're playing against Talon, he's going to click on you. Mm -hmm. And then he does his damage and that's... Did he kill you? A little bit. There's some good stuff on him, but... But he's just a bit too reliable. There's nothing I can do as the enemy about this. Um, and Zed, well, he's got some problems, sort of easy CSing and ranged harass, for mm -hmm. example, probably being a bit too strong, I think is much closer to a, an assassin where both sides get to play some of that game. Yeah. And I feel I, good if I have Zonia's, right? So it's like, I feel like I counterplayed him and I didn't, but he's going to feel like he got completely shut down because that's his kit. And it's just like talent as well, right? Like if I jumped on the guy and used all my abilities and I didn't kill him, then I do nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could go back and forth on this specific yeah. point for a long time. They're, they're very think, contentious, right? Yeah. Like, the, I, I think like internally there was something where it's like assassins should kind of be around 47, 48 percent win rate for like the general public because 
we know that the general public might not have the mechanical mastery to actually be insane on these guys, but there's going to be somebody up there who has like a 63% win rate with it because they're so good at the game. Yeah, some of that's mechanical mastery. Some of it's also champions that are not good, good general options for any team comp. Yeah. Um, that's probably true. are going to end up lower 50% win rate when balanced because a lot of people just pick them because they want to rather than because it's a good game for them. Yeah. Like I, I would I would say like Tarek, Tarek used to be this, I, I don't actually know how new Tarek fares, but like if Tarek, who we would agree is like a general pick, has like a 52% win rate, we'd probably be like, oh, okay, because there are more situations in which you will probably pick that character, you'll see him in more games, right? But if like a Zed or, uh, or like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other like specific hard counter. Okay, we'll say Galio, <laughs> like or or Ramus sure. or something had yeah. like 54. You're like, okay, that's weird because you should only be picking those characters when they're really good. And so if you're playing them more and more often, they're seeing more general success. That means they see extreme success in their intended case and pretty good performance in all of their other cases. Yeah, there's yeah. there's some trickiness there with characters like Galio and Ramus as well that. And this is why some of these statistics can be pretty uh, yeah. TLDR, win rates, are, win rates are scary, they're complex and they're things. not as easy as you think. Um, in part, we tend to see higher win rates for all tanks, because if there's a tank in the game, your team has a tank. <laughs> yeah, yes, and, yes. and exactly. the other one probably does but not. By default, yeah. this is a game where you had a, a better-than-average team comp, rather than uh, five squishy damage dealers with almost no CC. Yeah. So we'd, we'd expect the average tank to sit somewhat above 50% as a result. Yeah, it's the margin of error, right? Yeah. Uh, there's some of that, too. Right. We are a little off the rails, so so I'm going to rein us uh, back yeah, yeah, yeah. in for, well, for this last thing because, because uh, we do have a hard stop at one. I have assembled the people with some of the busiest schedules at Riot Games here. Uh, so before we close out, I want to grab uh, each of you really quick. Just have something. Make, make a prediction for me, if you will. For the next three months before we come back here and we talk about it. So so think about it. Three months from now, it'll be, what, we're, we're in July right now, so it'll be October. We'll be probably getting ready for preseason. Maybe maybe some of the information will be out. So, so Andre, what's your prediction for the next three months? Oh, yeah, plenty of prep time there to think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, yeah. I mean, Bam. You can come over here first. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, Aiden, All right. Aiden, hit so, me. Uh, what do you got? Remember last time I talked about Smite Kogma? Yeah, uh, it's higher win rate than every other Kogma <laughs> right now. Oh my now. god! So uh, check it. <laughs> okay, so so, okay, so 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 your prediction has something to do with the success or or failure no. of Smite Kogma. No, like last time I was talking with yeah, you about yeah, yeah. this stuff is like like I checked Champion.gg. It's like fifty six percent win rate in the bot lane. I'm like regular Kogma is like 51, 52. I'm like, yeah, my boys are catching on, man. Right. There's those guys out there. But yes, uh, so my prediction is that mid lane mages are still going to be powerful, but when the assassin update comes around, I think that this is going to be something that makes uh, mid lane mages have to think more about their pick, and you have to think more about your composition. Rather than which, just picking whatever you think Yeah, because right now, we're talking about generalist, right? Like, I think we're going to have a little bit more uh, assassin as a generalist, because, like, Zed was a generalist pick for a very long time. Ari was a very generalist pick for a long time season three, right? I think we're going to see more of that come back, and we haven't seen that in a while, because we went through, like, the Ziggs era, we went through, like, the Gragas mid era and stuff like that, oh, and then God. we eventually I never, I literally never want to think about Gragas mid ever yeah. again. Let's, Joe, you got something for me? Uh, so in three months, we will be getting very close to shipping preseason, so all I will say is I will be sleeping a lot less and be very tired and be incredibly excited to whatever we're about to put out. Okay. All right, cool. Well, so well, so that means hyped, we're going to hear a lot more out of you <laughs> yeah. probably in the next three months. Andre, anything else? Um, I guess I imagine we'll see teams playing a lot more 
deliberately around sort of multiple stacks of the drake buffs. Um, I think at the moment we see this most often when you get a whole bunch of mountain drakes. You know, you see teams, whether in pro or regular play, go, okay, cool, let's base race, or let's take Baron, we can burn it down really quickly. Um, I'm guessing we'll see some of that same sort of thing spill over to some of the other buffs with teams making really deliberate, we have these particular things, and quite a few of them, let's do X thing that we wouldn't normally do to a greater degree. All right, I'm, cool. I actually want to jump on a pro thing here really quickly. because Aiden, my, my Aiden we have no time. My, no, no, my prediction was really about, like... Aiden, no, we literally have no time. Okay, keep like, talking, Aiden. No, 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 I'm not talking. Anyway, 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 I'm just going to say it right here. Oh, my God. I'm just going to say it right here. Um, I think that the games are going to get faster. I think people are going to learn how to play the game much quicker and not have to rely on these buffs all the time. We're seeing it with, like, Team Solo Mid right now, where yeah. they play really fast. They don't give you an opportunity or a window to counter. I think that a lot of teams in professional play are going to catch on to that. Yeah, they're the worst at taking Elder Dragon because their games don't last long enough for the Elder <laughs> Dragon to spawn. Okay. We don't have time, Scars. Are yeah. All right. <laughs> Anyways, look. So uh, thank you all, uh, all of you guys for coming. Andre, Fearless, Zyrene, thank you for everyone out there for listening. Uh, we will be doing podcasts here every week, but we will continue to do this one uh, again in three months. So uh, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher upvote subscribe like comment tell us what we're doing tell us what we're not doing uh tell aiden to shut up i don't know any any anything that you like or want to put in the comments uh and then yeah stuff like that okay cool let's all go back and do real work so cute.